you know, our onboarding was like way too long. And, and you take for granted the fact that like, if somebody is downloading your app for mental health services, there's a high probability that they're very much in need of services like, like an hour ago, like, and you, you actually are like, shit, like, okay, we got crunched. Like we need to get them to somebody as fast as humanly possible, understanding that your decisions are actually affecting somebody on a day-to-day in a, in, in, in hopefully a positive way is a great way to go into thinking about how to, how to solve problems. Yo, what's up, everyone? This is the Shaping Design Podcast, where we help you get better at design through story strategies and tactics. I'm your co-host, Mitchell Bernstein. Today, we interviewed Joel Grenier. Joel is one of Pascal's longtime friends and mentors. They worked together in the past at an agency, and through some of his journey, he's landed actually at a startup called Maple. And at Maple, he's using design to help bring balance to families everywhere. We talked a lot about the impact of design, creativity, obviously, uh, how to mentor and mentee, and also mental health. So stay tuned for that. Also, this content is not free. Remember, in the last episode, and I'll say it again, we have a gentleman's agreement, which means you have to like and subscribe wherever you listen to this. So if you listen to Apple or Spotify, give us a five-star rating, subscribe. If you listen to this on YouTube, like and subscribe so that we can provide more free content to you. Otherwise, this content isn't free. So please do some of that and uh, come back and then uh, we'll get right into it. So now let's dive in. Very stoked about this one. I've chatted with Joel offline, obviously, but to me, this is like, it's really special to have Joel on this pod with me for many different reasons. Like I'll let Joel talk about his spiel and everything. But for me, I feel like Joel is a big reason I'm here in my career. And he's, he kind of gave me that opportunity to think differently and design differently and come at it with my own style. And he's like, I would say my first, the first mentor, you know, when you kind of figure like you have key mentors in your life, mm-hmm. Joel's that person for me. It's not just like a friend and not just because we live in the same, like from the same city when it has nothing to do with, but that to me, Joel, that that's what Joel brings to the table. So I'm super excited to be here. Like I love the way he thinks and the way he's, so I'm really happy that other people are going to get to, to know him. Like I know him. Well, that's very kind. Wow. Can we like, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll mail you that hundred bucks later. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's, it's really funny because the last pod we had, I guess, my version of you, who was my first mentor in, in tech and in design and stuff and kind of like the first in-person one at least. So that's really cool. So why don't you, usually what we do is we have the, the guests kind of give a little spiel about who they were, the little background, and then kind of like what they're doing now. So I'll let you take it away. Oh gosh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to control myself a little bit. So <laughs> I I mean I've been a designer now for 20 years. So I've been at it for quite some time, and and you know I've been involved in all parts of design, which I think has been very special for me as a designer. I don't know that everybody gets the opportunity to to, to do that, but I started my career out in mostly mostly doing like agency work, so doing a lot of brand work where when digital sort of Coming, coming out, I'm aging myself, but my gray, my gray hairs probably do that too. But when digital was, was sort of coming out, a lot of obviously traditional agencies were, were not, felt like they weren't equipped, I guess, to, to service their, their brands that they were working with. So 
I was working for an agency here in, in Ottawa for the first like eight and a half years of my career. And it was really exciting because as a young designer, I was given like probably way too much autonomy to do some really fun, uh, amazing work with some, I don't know, countless brands. It was pr- pretty amazing. And, and uh, you know, our, our agency did very well, won, you know, won a lot of awards and de- did all this stuff. And I thought it was great at the time starting out my career because it was like, oh man, all you're, all you're looking for when you're a young designer is some level of like confirmation that you're doing something well. So I think that was great. And then after that, I, I kind of got burnt out on the agency side, you know, I was working crazy, crazy hours and was starting a family with, with my, my, my longtime girlfriend and now wife. And so I tried transitioned into product and uh, start, well, actually freelance for a while. And then through freelance ended up getting into to product a lot more. And, you know, that's where I met Pascal. We, we, we worked for a company. It was kind of like a hybrid company. We had a, we had a product that we sort of had bundled up and we were kind of selling that out. And, and our, our team that we were working with and, and I was leading at the time was doing a lot of the services of, of bridging you know, services and our product. So we were working with tons of great brands like Cartoon Network and and NBA and CFL and like a bunch of really great, great fun clients to to get their their products out to market, which was really awesome. And and Pascal and I got to do some great work together there. And and I kind of just that was kind of my exposure to like tech startup, I guess you could say. And so since then, you know, I've been staying in the startup space, which has been, you know, very rewarding and challenging at the same time. I helped a mental health startup get off the ground and they got acquired and then went over and helped another company launch their product. They're still active. They're, the the company's called Fellow and they, they, they're creating meeting software, which was awesome to help them get their product off the ground. And now I'm heading up design for another product company called Maple. And we're, we're really trying to figure out if we can solve sort of household equality and just getting more people involved in participating and in, in sharing the load inside of a, inside of a household. And so that's, that's been exciting too. So I've been doing that. So, so yeah, that's a lot of stuff. Try to package that in <laughs> quick, but yeah, it's been a while. Have, it's been a journey. I have a lot of questions, but I, I will offer the first question to Pascal. Because I got the last last one's first questions, so yeah, I have a lot of questions. But to I'm me, write mine down. No, but to me, like one thing that I find important is that you really transition into, you know, from a designer to leadership roles and and talking. Like I remember when we were like at UI together, and you were talking to like C level executives, and I was just always amazed on how you came to like C-level executive meetings in like San Fran with your jeans and t-shirt, but you came with your personality. And I was like, <laughs> well, we, we, we can talk with like that to those people. But how do you, how does one prepare as a designer in their career to slowly transition themselves to be able to get that type of exposure? Or what do you recommend people do? Or what did you do to get to start to, you know, ramp up in your career? Yeah, I mean that's a really good question. I I don't know how that how I had the the I don't know the the capacity to even feel like wanting to go to those meetings. But I I think to be honest, I just loved creating so much that I think that was the thing that just t- took over. It kind of put me on autopilot to just be passionate and 
and excited about creating things and putting them out in the in the world. And I just liked to talk to people about it. And I think that was a big difference for me was to try to like get past the titles of people in my early on in my career. Cause I think people are like, oh my God, like this person is a VP or a or a senior executive or whatever that that big title is. And they have all this responsibility for this big brand. And like they probably don't who the heck I am. But the reality for me was that I think I just wanted to create cool stuff for people. And that's how I just approached those conversations. So yeah, I mean, it was slightly uncomfortable showing up in jeans and a t-shirt to, you know, a boardroom full of suits. But at the same time, I think, I think people just got excited when I was excited. And I think that made a big difference. You know, I think it's the same for you guys doing a podcast or a creator on Instagram or whatever. It's like, you could just kind of get excited when somebody's just really, really into what they're doing. And so I think I just drafted on that as much as humanly possible. And it worked and it worked out for me. I think, I think people felt it was genuine. I think people saw that I was coming out at, at it from the right place and, and they believed it in me. And so I I took that to heart and was like, well, okay, well, if they're going to put their trust and belief in me, well, now I'm going to do whatever I need to do to deliver. And then and then it came to delivering. And that's where, you know, working with you and building great people and building trust internally as much as I had to externally was super important. So yeah, that was sort of my approach to things, I would say. I have a question actually about that specifically, what you just said, building trust internally and I guess with the clients and, and whatnot, the executives and stuff. How do you build trust? Oh man. I mean, <laughs> you come to the meeting swearing and just wearing your t-shirt. Yeah. It's going to sound <laughs> funny. I mean, Pascal's kind of right. Like I think authenticity, I mean, you know, I think that was the thing for me was you know, anybody who's ever worked with me or been with me along my my ride is, you know, if Joel walks into a boardroom or Joel's hanging out for a beer after work or a Joel's like at home with his family, I'm always the I'm always the same person. You're going to get what you're going to get from me. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it may not. And I'm OK dealing with the consequences of that along the way. You know, we've had deals fall through because I was maybe too pushy along the way. And and that's totally fine. They probably found a better match along the way. And I'm I'm totally okay with that. So yeah, I was, you know, pardon my French, but kind of like a no bullshit kind of person. I just kind of like I'm coming to the table. This is who I am. This is what I can offer to you. It may be right or wrong. Let's talk about it and maybe and like let's jam on it together and figure it out. But I think that was the thing, is just being like open, authentic, jam with people and create create. Like, just let's create together and see what comes out of it. And I think that worked out. And I think people appreciate that. I think just some, you know, when you're going to like LA and you're going it where everybody, you know, can, can, you, you can probably think that people are, you know, maybe not putting out their authentic self during a meeting and to have somebody from Canada in the middle of nowhere come down and just like, whatever, let's like, let's just jam. I think that was refreshing for a lot of people, frankly, like New York, LA, San Fran, like wherever we were going, doing business, I think it was just refreshing for people to be like, I thought that, I thought that worked really well. And yeah. And I, I really appreciate that. And that's like authenticity coming to the table at it. I really learned a lot. Like at the beginning, I remember when we were going to these 
all these, well, for one, I had never traveled that much until I went to UI with you and, and like going yeah. to these execs and talking to all these like Turner and you think, well, this is Turner. Like this is the big leagues. And all of a sudden yeah. we're like at the, at a bar having a beer with them because we're, we've lowered it to not saying lowered it, but get to like that authentic level. I learned so much by doing that and observing. And yeah. when you get to that comfort level with them, they have way more trust in you because you've gotten to that part. Like you got to like no bullshit zone. Let's talk about, you yeah. know, for, we're having fun. I mean, people forget people are just people. Like that's, I, I think that's the thing that's really hard sometimes to get past when you're like, okay, I'm, especially when you're early on in your career, you're like, oh my God, I'm like, I have to put on a good, you know, I, I've got to come at it like as a professional, I've got to be all buttoned up and I have to like have it all together. And I mean, I went into meetings sometimes I didn't have it all together and I kind of had to fake it, you know, and, and like fake when I say fake it, I'm like, you know, just roll with it and just be like, oh man, like here's a curveball and just kind of, kind of go off with it or whatever. But I mean, I struggled too. Like, I think I, I didn't have it all together too. Like, I, it's going to sound funny. It was like, should I wear khakis to this meeting? Like, am, am I going to be like judged or perceived the wrong way because I'm not wearing a buttoned up shirt? And it took me a long, it took me a long time to feel comfortable that I can pull off a jeans and a t-shirt going to an exec meeting, frankly. But, you know, but it takes time and, and you just learn. I mean, I think I work best when I'm comfortable. Like when I feel the most about myself that I, that I can be when I go to a meeting. So I think eventually I was just like, ah, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, I'm going to wear my t 10 tree shirt and, and, you know, go to the meeting done. Do you, do you think that if you dress the same way as like the, the other suits in the room, do you think that they would have taken you less or more seriously or just kind of like assume that you were one of them? Do you think it's like because you were so far removed from them, they were like, oh, he's obviously the expert, like kind of like a scientist walks in the room with like a lab coat. It's like, oh, they're clearly smart, right? So like, yeah. do you think it was kind of like that perception? I, 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 I tried at one point, I remember, you know, working for, for a tech company for the first time and everybody was wearing button shirts and khakis and I was like, oh, crap, you know, and I was coming from agency where I was like, it was the wild, wild west. Like it, it was such a crazy shift for me. And so I was like, I literally came home and I'm like, Shannon, my wife, I'm like, I, I got to go get some khakis and some buttoned up shirts because like, I, I, like I look completely out of place here. Like, what am I doing? And she's like, oh, OK. So, you know, and then I come into work and then everybody was like, like it, it was weird. They were like this, you know, and I was uncomfortable and it's going to sound funny, but I know, you know, that's what it was. It was like super weird. So it didn't last long. It was like, went to a few meetings, came into work for a few weeks. It was like, nah, this is not, I'm not doing this. And so I just like revert and, yeah, and I, it was good. I couldn't picture you in a plaid shirt and, <laughs> and khaki pants. Like it would not work. No, I mean, a, a button up shirt, like a little, with a little bit of, you know, style to it. I could, I can pull that off. Pascal, but, you have know, you ever done that? The what? like dressed up and like people have been like what's wrong with you <laughs> I actually no no actually I used to like my style at that time used to be really like sort of like dressed up in a way yeah and the more I, I hung around Joel the, the more I was like just getting in a jeans and a t-shirt <laughs> was kind of going mean, Pascal was fancy and when he, I remember when I hired him I was like man this guy's slick like he's just all like 
like he's very like you know button up shirt he's always done up done up good i was like damn like he looks good and i was coming in looking like a like coming off the street or something like that (laughs) but it was it was great it was but that was so great we had such a diverse group of individuals in that team and that was who pascal was at the time it was awesome and he brought so much to to our team just to to bring that different different style pascal what happened he hung out with me too long (laughs) that's what i was gonna say <laughs> I'm like at a point now where it's like I'm in a short t-shirt, a hat. I don't yeah. care. Well, <laughs> actually, like, flip flops. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I went. I was at IBM. Two stories, real quick. I was at IBM. I started dressing with like a like a, a nice jacket, nice button down shirt for some meetings that were, you know were virtual. But like we all sit in the room. I'm the only one wearing this stuff. And everyone walking by in the hallway is like, "Why do you look so nice? Like you shouldn't." <laughs> and I was like, "What? Like are you into sales now?" I guess so. Yeah. But then when I went to the IBM office, IBM IX office in London, it was on the water, it was a beautiful building, right? I walk in and I was like, my my jaw hit the floor because every single person walking by in that studio looked like a freaking model. Like they were all dressed right. up and they were, I was like, what is going on? Like the culture shift is so different. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, I feel like, we, I feel that now, like, especially working remotely, when you're working remote with a lot of different teams from different places, like it's super different. Like, you know, when, when you're, you know, in the first 10, 15 years of my career, it was like most of the teams were all local teams. We were working, you know, all in Ottawa. We we're all very, very similar for the most part, you know, culturally. And then it's like you start working remote and you're like, it opens up like so many different things that you wouldn't expect. And I was like, wow, cool. Like this is, this is different, but com- still comfortable. Like it, it, it wasn't like anybody was forcing themselves to like feel comfortable in a particular situation. Everybody was just genuinely bringing like a different style, pers- perspective, all that kind of thing to the table. So it's very neat. I have a I have a following question now. I've touched on this in one of the pods, and I've talked like I've written a newsletter on this, and you and I, Mitch, had a conversation about this last night too. Imposter syndrome. You've mentioned that you had to go in and like you when you know, wait, I'm just going to wing it on many occasions throughout your career. Like I've always perceived you as uber confident knowing you. I know it's not necessarily the case. It's like you came to the table with it, but you you from external view, you've always been perceived that that guy is like, "Ah, I got it. Don't worry. I'm not even going to prepare for my meeting. I'm just going to wing it like that's but that's how I feel you you are. Yeah. What what's your perception on like imposter syndrome? One, have you gone through it? And two, do you feel that's something we all go through in our career as we move up? I still go through it. I mean, I'm I'm 42 and I still am some days going like, what the hell am I doing? Like, am I doing the right thing? Does it feel comfortable? Like, I I think, but I think what has changed for me along the way is kind of embracing it a little bit. And just being like, whatever, I don't know what I don't know. And I know what I know. And just kind of, and keep yourself as open as possible along the way. But yeah, I mean, my God, there's, there's countless, I can't, I can't even count how many times, you know, I remember I, I, I spoke at a conference for the first time and I was like, what, what did I get myself into? Like, nobody cares about me like and what I have to say and like they don't even know me will anybody show up like you know and, and losing your mind over that for weeks and weeks at a time but it, I think part of it 
is just being the willingness to just try things and push yourself a little bit and be uncomfortable along the way. And, you know, I think, I think imposter syndrome for me comes a little bit when it's more like it's anxiety to, to break out of your comfort zone. It's like, you can, you can stay in your bubble and, and be super comfortable doing like a handful of things and just like ride that wave forever. But I think the reason people who feel imposter syndrome is that it's because they're pushing themselves to try things that they're not normally comfortable with. And it's kind of a good thing, you know, to, to feel that way and to push through it. And I mean, I think that was part of why I was able to sort of be a bit of a chameleon in my career a little bit and just like embrace challenges, just be like, okay, there's this problem or there's this thing. And I just want to be able to participate and contribute and, and try to fix it along the way. And it's going to be really uncomfortable and probably very awkward. And people will probably look at me as why is this young kid like think, thinking he could come in here and do these things? Because a lot of times I was like a younger, you know, creative director or executive, junior executive you know, or whatever, going into these rooms and having these conversations. But I was just like, I still went, go back to that, you know, embracing the thing, which is just to create really great stuff and embrace challenges and just ride those waves. And uh, so I never, I never knew that it was, you know, the feeling sometimes was imposter syndrome until years later, whenever, you know, when it became a topic of conversation. But yeah, it's just like embracing feeling out of place and out of and being awkward and just writing writing it yeah i think that imposter syndrome has struck in me more recently <laughs> than ever but i guess it didn't really occur to me until pascal started writing and we started talking about it and how much so many other people face it and how often they face it but why if we all face it do we face it at all you know what i mean like why is it something that we all know about it's open everyone talks about it not every day but everyone knows it exists and then we still face it like is it something that we should be teaching people in their careers designers in their early earlier careers to handle better or is it a necessary aspect of being a designer or any creative especially creatives but any anyone really i mean to me there's no way you can avoid it I just think that it has a negative like association to the label that's been given to it, in my opinion. You know, I think I, it's almost like people have positioned it like it's something really, really scary and, you know, and awkward and, and whatever. And and it doesn't have to. I think that's something that I would, you know, talk to people about is like, it's OK. It's, it's absolutely OK that you feel this way because it just means that you're tackling something that feels uncomfortable versus people being like, I struggle with this. And it's like, I think it's a lot of times these negative labels just need to be reframed. You know, it's like I, I you could you could sit there and, and be very continue to just be really, really anxious about this idea that you you don't belong or you're never going to get it right or, or whatever. But that that's like a debilitating mindset to just like sit in that for too long versus just like, I'm going to try this. 
and it, it whatever and it, it like it might work out and it might work not work out you know you guys probably felt it with this podcast at some point in time and maybe you still are where you're like you're getting something done for the first time and you know taking it off the ground and you've never done it before and it feels really awkward and you don't know if you're supposed to be doing this or not but <laughs> i think the reality is is that like it's a lot of just like negativity i think around it instead of just being like no you're anytime you try something different you know you're gonna feel weird like i've had ceos come up to me and say joel we have this problem over here we don't know who the heck should solve it in the organization do you want to do it and i'm like well i don't i don't know if i want to even touch this thing with a 10-foot pole but like is it important to the business is it important to you do you have like some faith in me? To do? Like, obviously you have some level of faith in me because we wouldn't have this conversation in the first place. And you just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to jump into this and and embrace it and see what comes out of it. And like, there's challenges that I've taken on when we were at UI, for example, where I kind of shit the bed on them and I'd like, it didn't work out the way I wanted it to, unfortunately. But then there were other ones that went really, really, really well. And so you could always fall back on you know, things that went well and didn't go well and you learn from them and move on. And I think that's the thing about just embracing uncertainty, imposter syndrome, new challenges is just to like ride with it and just, it's going to be a learning experience one way or another. You'll figure something out and you'll grow from it ultimately. Yeah, I think it, those are great lessons. And I think, unfortunately, in today's society, it almost feels like if you're trying and failing, like it's portrayed as really negative. And it puts yeah. you like it puts a lot of people in this fight or flight mode for absolutely no reason. If somebody gives you like a task because they have confidence in you and yeah. they even if they don't know, even if they know you don't know it, but I think they think they have confidence enough that you're going to try and it's okay to fail. We should we should allow people that and say it's okay to fail because you've those are learned lessons for next time. Yeah. And I I mean, you and I have had those conversations when you when we when we work together, right? Where you're like, I don't know. And I'm like, listen, we, I, you wouldn't be in my office having this conversation if I didn't think you, you could, you could roll with this. Like I, and we'll, and I'm, and by the way, I'm here for you as well. Like, I'm not just going to like throw you to the wolves. And I think that's important too. I think is like when you are sometimes embracing challenges can be lonely. If, if not being given a bit of a support system around it too. So I would say like in, in, if we're talking in the inverse a little bit, it's like in our relationship, for example, as me, as your manager or, or whatever, like knowing that I'm giving you something that is going to make you potentially feel a little bit uncomfortable or put you a little bit out of your comfort zone. It's equally as important for me to not set you up to fail and expect the world and just like leave you to it versus be there with you and support you in that journey along the way and ride that wave with you. And I think that's something that maybe sometimes gets lost a little bit too, is that like, you know, having, having, having things set up around you is equally as important to give you the confidence to, to, to push through too. Right. Yeah. I think the people you around yourself with are super important. And yep. like, just like getting a mentor, even if it's not in your side of your company, at least to bounce ideas off, 
talk about this and, and talk yeah. through, I think mentorship is uber important in your career, especially when you get to different levels and always finding those. I mean, imposter syndrome sometimes can really creep in hard when you're put in a situation that's awkward and makes you anxious and might be very challenging, but it makes it even worse if it doesn't go well and you had no support along the way. But that's something that people need to look back on as well as it's like, okay, I, I embraced this challenge. I was ready to roll, but how did it go maybe wrong in this case and, and learn from that and then take that lesson on to the next one. And that was another big thing for me. It was just like, yeah, if, if, if an account was failed or a product launch went bad for whatever reason, like, okay, to learn, figure it out, you know, do 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 a an assessment on that and then like figure figure out for the next one how you can do it better and try not to like be too down on yourself in the process. So I guess I'll bounce a question off of both of what you just said both of what you just said. Relating to mentorship, how do you how do you actually choose a mentor and how do you be a good mentor? Oh <laughs> trick question um, of the day. <laughs> trick question. Well I'll be honest, I never had a lot of mentors along the way. And so I think that gave me, I thought that that was a very, very hard thing at the time. You know, it was really hard for me, I think, given the way I came up in the industry, because it was a lot of, it was very competitive. I find when I was coming up, everybody was like in it for themselves. It was like, even in, even in my agency, it was like, I was coming into work every day going like, how am I going to one up? this other art director creative director for years like it was awful and like looking back on it like there was many great things but that was one thing that i look back on it was like wow that was terrible like it was we were not supporting each other we were like undercutting each other left right and centered it to just climb up the ladder i would say my like my my mentors a lot of time ended up being ceos of companies because i would i would come into the company's in many cases as a startup and I would be building relationship to CEOs. So it was interesting because I never had a mentor in my craft. I always had a, a mentor from like a, a, from a personal perspective, I guess. Right. So yeah, I was a little unlucky that way, but at the same time, I think that I took that as a responsibility a little bit in my career to not to offer that to others coming up from there. So for me, whether I was hiring somebody or working with students at our local college or somebody just wanting to go for a coffee and have a chat, like I knew how so I it was so hard for me or I felt like it was so hard for me that I just wanted to offer that up to, to others as much as possible. But I find like now, you know, further years down the road and, and you know, with with again, with social media and people being a bit more accessible and things of that nature. It's crazy. Like you, you could just reach out to people. And I think just getting over the, the anxiety of like reaching out to somebody and just like, cause the worst thing they're going to do is ghost you or say no, or just like not answer you or whatever, but like to actually just try, you know, I, I remember we were starting a, a community here in Ottawa. We're trying to start a design community here in Ottawa just before COVID. And unfortunately, like it kind of, it just fizzled out because of COVID. But I, I reached out to people from like Airbnb and Facebook and like people I'd never talked to before and was like, hey, do you want to come and be part of a panel discussion around this topic? And they were like, yes. I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? 
and that's it. Like, and they were like, yeah, yeah, I love talking about this shit. I'm like, okay, amazing. So I think people are just way more accessible now. I think people just got to feel comfortable to just reach out and, 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 and see if people are willing to just have a coffee and have a chat. And, and then I think just like build, see if there is a relationship that builds out of that. Sweet. Great advice. So, so then Pascal, from your perspective, what do you think? I, same thing. I've never had, I never had a mentor per se until like Joel and the way I was you know, that mentorship went was never like at the design level or that pixel level, but it was always on like the craft. How do you present? How do you, how do you elevate yourself above the craft to be able to help others level themselves up? And I think along the way is all the mentors I had were never actually like pixel pushers to some degree. It was never about mentoring about the craft because the more you grow in your craft, the more you're, you know, you're taking responsibility for your own skill development. And it always came to the human development perspective. Like I learned a lot on how to present, how to pitch, how to do all that from Joel and how do you present yourself? I also learned that it's okay to grow old in this craft, which is going to be my follow-up question from Joel because we had many conversations in that. One of those. Even afterwards, like all my mentors that I had were from a business perspective or how do you present your designs from an output and, 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 you know, KPIs or OKRs, I should say, KPIs and OKRs. How do you justify what the design and the value terms of business? Because those are things we don't learn. And those are things that you need that mindset. It's not the person who creates that fantastic animated button that we're all seeing raved about on Twitter right now. It's not about that. Once you like, that's one part of the craft. But all my mentors have always been from a business side, from a presentation side, from a human side. How do you grow others up? And that's, that's what I try to bring to all the people I mentor is not just the craft, but how, how do you find those business opportunities? How do you present? Because like the business owner, he wants to, what's in it for them? Like it's a dollar, everything's associated to some point to like a dollar value. So how do you present Uh all those things? So I had to learn all that, but it wasn't through a design pixel person that I've learned all this. Yeah. I think what's funny is like, like, most people got into their craft because they're passionate. Mm-hmm. So the reality usually ends up being that if that's what they're passionate about, like they're probably going to continue to grow their own craft one way or another. And like they they're, they may come to you and be like, hey, what's your thoughts on this? And like jam with their colleagues and all that kind of stuff, which is great. But like for me, it always felt like a bit of a waste of time to sit over someone's shoulder and be like, here's my idea. Uh, like, can I massage your idea into my idea? Like, it was totally the wrong way of doing it. It's like, I've hired you. Like, come on, come on in. You know, I don't want to stand over your shoulder. The stuff that I loved working with Pascal on was because he came from an agency background like I did. And I I could kind of tell he came from that competitive agency world, just like I did. And you know, was working with art directors and creative directors who were like, you know, trying to push their themselves through him, you know, and using him as their paintbrush or whatever. And that that stuff always drove me crazy versus being like working with Pascal on how he works with like a junior who was coming in and starting their career out and being like, hey, how do you how do you give them space to be creative as well? And I loved working on that or or him 
coming to me when he was feeling uncomfortable about a situation and working through that together. Or he's banging his head up against a wall on a certain problem that he's trying to work through and it's not working out and he's driving him crazy. And instead of pressuring him on timelines, it'd be like, okay, like, let's figure out how do we can like work through this together. But it's more about, for, for me, it's putting people in a situation where they're going to be successful and then passing that knowledge on to others, right? How can they be successful in this scenario, this scenario, mentor, mentor to mentoring someone else, being in a complicated meeting, pitching something, blah, blah, blah. Cause at the end of the day, like, are we not hiring people so that we can like spread the spread the responsibility around? Like, what's the point otherwise if I'm like just trying to push into everything all the time? So it was always great for me because I was like, yeah, this person has great potential. Let's work on this together. And then like, I'm here, like I'm here for when you want to fill the gap and you're having a problem and or you're buttoned up with an engine, if you're, if you're buttoned heads with an engineer, like how can we figure that problem? How can we figure that problem out? That you never know? happens in the design. <laughs> never, <laughs> ever, ever. Yeah, I I know Pascal well enough to know exactly when he's he's facing troubles with <laughs> some some issue at work. <laughs> we face several of the same issues together. I start swearing a lot. Yeah, and, and I'm actually I'm actually kind of disappointed how this podcast is going because Pascal promised me that Joel, you are a, a avid cursor, and oh. I haven't heard you curse once. So no, I cursed at least twice so far, but well, I'm keeping the bar low on purpose <laughs> because it could get it can get out of control. It can really get out of control, and I don't want to offend anybody. So you know, <laughs> trying to keep up, I put my you know, I'm trying to be good. Yeah, well, you're doing great, and so I want to switch gears a little bit from talking about raising mentees to kind of what you're working on now, like what you're doing now, because parenting raising kind of transitioning to this so tell me about what what is the product that you're working at the service that you're providing or you're working on now to provide to to families do you think that it has changed your outlook your perception or how you kind of go about your own life because i i find this there's like a new idea i'm thinking about like the things we create actually do shape our lives ourselves like when we put something into the world it's a reflection of sadly sometimes who we are sometimes a really good thing of who we are mm, yeah i so yeah maple i i joined maple it's just over two years maybe almost two and a half years now and i, I wasn't looking for anything new like i was happy where i was we, we were growing company at, at fellow and and i was growing the design team and the practice there but when when it, when I was introduced to Michael, the CEO of, of Maple, he was passionate about this problem, which is that raising a family just in general is like, it's really like, it's just hard, period. And I was like, yeah. And I kind of walked him through my story of like, you know, I come from a divorced family and li lived with my mom and was very remote from my dad and my mom kind of, my mom and my stepdad like raised me and didn't have like a, a huge community around them. So it was like always on them and like, and it, and I ended up in the same place. Like we, my, my girlfriend Shannon and wife now wife moved away and it's just been her and I, like literally we, we graduated college and university and we moved away and it's always just been me and her. And we've had to figure out our relationship 
through that on our own. With, and we were like the first of our friends to like, we were the first ones to get married and the first ones to get a house and the first ones to have kids. And, and so we didn't ever have a lot of people to like, just like have a conversation around things that are going on. Like it was really tough because people couldn't understand it. They couldn't wrap their heads around it yet. They were like partying on the weekend. Like that was what, you know, they were doing at the time. Meanwhile, I was like working 72 hours straight at an agency while my wife was at home with a newborn child. Like it's crazy, crazy different. And so what I was, what, when I was talking to, to MP about this, I was like, we, we could have used a lot more support around this along the way. You know, we, we could have been better to years. We could have figured out how to balance the load a little bit more where I, you know, I was so focused on my career that I was taking for granted that my wife was working and raising our children and dealing with everything in the household on her own. And over time, we, we learned that and we recalibrated along the way. And now it's a very, well, she still does more than I do, but it's a lot more even. I would say it's a lot more even than it, it, it was, right? And so that's really sort of at the core of Maple is just trying to figure out how, you know, there's there's always somebody in a household that feels like they're taking everything on. And I and I don't know that it's necessarily always on purpose. You know, I don't I don't think that there are partners that are just like deadbeats, let's say. I think, you know, we've all come a long way since 1950 or whatever. But I, I do think that there's still like inequality in the household in a lot of homes. And, and that comes from a lot for a lot of different reasons. That could be like a cultural thing, how you were raised, whatever. And so going back to your question, it's like, yeah, we're, we're working on this problem and realizing how frigging complicated it is because every single household is different. And the tools and the things that they need and want to manage their household and how they want to manage it is very different from my household to another household. And so, you Do know, you examples. Yeah, I, man, I got a billion. I mean, like going, going back to your point, it's like the, the more that you work on that problem, right. And the more that you talk to people and the more that you're exposed, you're like, oh, okay, well, a single mom with two kids, that problem is very, very different to an atomic household of like male, female and, and two kids or, or a gay family, you know, or a whatever, like what the, 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 the composition of a household me is like, undefined anymore like there's just so many different ways a, a single dad with two kids who's dealing with you know the loss of a, a wife a single mother who's just been divorced you know a young a young couple who had a child too early like all of these scenarios are endless and so i think it's it's been challenging to figure out like okay well what ingredients do we need to get together to help these individuals but i think the 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 one thing that we've or at least for me that we've been able to boil down to is like, it's, it's kind of lonely and it's, and it's hard at times. And there's this thing I think going on in society that nobody asks each other for help anymore, which is kind of like, I remember growing up, people would come to our door, knock on the door. We would open the door. They would come in and we would have coffee on like a Wednesday at six o'clock. Now people come and you knock on the door and everybody's like, they're, you know, pulling the curtain off to the side and peeking to see like, who the, who the fuck just knocked on the door? Like what, 
it's Wednesday at 6.30. Like, what the hell is going on? Like, nobody knocks on each other's doors anymore. Nobody calls each other anymore. Like, so it's the, everybody, everybody, you know, no, and, and like, I don't want to ask my friend for help because they're raising their family. Like, they must be as busy as we are. So God forbid, like, we help each other out. Like, they've got their thing. So it's it's pretty wild. So I think just these stories along the way has just opened my eyes up to how some things have come a long way and others like just got like messed up (laughs) along the way as well. So I think that's just really been interesting and eye opening. Yeah. When I was younger, our houses were very far apart in our neighborhood. So we didn't get any you're like people knocking on our door because of, of that. There's less kids in the neighborhood and whatever. So when someone did knock on the door, I would run from upstairs to downstairs so fast to see who it was. And here now we live in a, a rental and our door is just glass. <laughs> so there's yeah. no curtain to hide behind. We're kind of, you know, if we're in our underwear, if we're naked or whatever, you know, yeah, they see everything, yeah. I guess. But <laughs> yeah, that that's that's wild. So do you think that working there, thinking about this, your personal experiences is it reflecting on your your life as you're building this experience for so many families is it also like you're building it for yourself yeah i mean that's that's been something that's kind of special is that it's something that i i get to try to implement in our day-to-day life so it's really interesting because i i get to see like okay it's like well if i don't care about this then like for sure nobody else is going to care about it like to some degree right like it Again, it's, I think the challenges are different, are going to be very different in every household. But like, if I'm begging my family to, to, you know, participate in this app with me, then, you know, I know in, I know there's something wrong here. Like I haven't nailed this thing yet. And like, you know, me and the team have to go and like continue jamming on this. And, and so we're, we're chipping away at it, but I think it's definitely, you know, like I was kind of joking around a little bit earlier that, you know, I, trying to get equality in our household for example like i i'm definitely more present and more involved than i was in my in my mid to late 20s in my marriage and in my and in my being a husband and being a father and things of that nature but i i know that my wife still does way more than me and she 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 manages way more than i do and i probably realize it like more so in the last three years than and then even then when I was still trying to correct my, you know, how much am I paying attention to my wife and my kids and what's going on in my household. But still now it's like, holy crap, like she still does like way more than I do. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm tr- and I'm trying. <laughs> so so yeah, it's definitely it's definitely something that is with me every day now because I'm like working on the problem and I literally living it like but i'm living it like i'm present and living it like i'm not just like living it and letting it go by but like uh, because the product is so so involved in like just regular everyday life or like it's hard to get away from it i'm always thinking about it can i can i ask you to break down what you say is equality because it sounds like there's like an imbalance like you're describing it as there's an imbalance in these people's homes and that you you're suggesting that there needs to be some sort of equal footing into the responsibility or is it like the presence or what is the equality regarding yeah i think i i think when we 
when we talk about equality, and I think maybe I'll be honest, like probably everybody in the team has a slight different idea of what equality probably looks like in the household, frankly. For for me, I would say is just feeling like there's at least some balance in the household, right? That it's not completely feeling like things are skewed one way or the other. And I'm going to be like totally over the top here on purpose. Pascal knows me. I, I tend to like explain things in extremes, but you could think of a picture of like a working mom who literally does goes to work eight to five or even maybe has two jobs, you know, with a part-time job is cleaning the house, paying the bills, doing all this stuff. And she's got a lazy ass husband who was sitting on the chair watching sports with a beer belly. Like that's the extreme, like I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm purposely yeah. framing this as an extreme right now. Right. It, it, it actually exists. It friggin' exists. Right. So like, I know I'm like, I'm kind of jokingly saying it, but at the same time, like it's, it exists. And And so I think what we're just trying to figure out is how can we help create some balance in the household? You would be shocked at when you talk to somebody and they just feel like something really small happened in their household. Like I'm talking somebody added like buy apples to a freaking shopping list. And or the they moved the pot somewhere else or something. Yeah. Or they like they checked off, wash the dishes or they. Or they, they booked something in the family calendar or something like that, like something which would be small. And the relief that this certain individual who maybe is more perceived as like the organizer, manager, you know, the person who like is driving the bus in the household, the relief that that individual feels when that one little freaking thing happens and there's some awareness around it and, and they can be like, holy, oh, that's the first time in however long that I felt like somebody was either aware, participated in something, whatever. And you'd be shocked at how small that that action needs to be for that person to feel like they're not alone or they're receiving some, some support in the household. And I think that that's what drives us every day. That's what drives me every day. What is that? They're compounding small little actions that can happen within a household that can dramatically affect the balance of how people feel and show up for their families on a day-to-day. It's a very, it's very underrated, I guess you could say. Like, and people I think underestimate what these small little think little interactions are and how powerful they are to that individual. So, like, even for me, I'm the person who cooks in the household. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm getting all passionate all the one side, but like the funny thing is like, I'm the person who cooks in the household. I'm the one who does all the shopping. When somebody just tells me like what they want to eat on a Wednesday and I don't have to ask them and they put it in there, I'm like, oh shit, sweet. Like that's one less thing I have to worry about. I don't have to nag anybody about it. It's there. Thank freaking God. <laughs> and it's like, there's so much shit going on that that one little thing makes me feel good and we just want to do more of that a lot more of that that's awesome that sounds like a really cool service i I think i'll I'll check it out when i when i get closer to that era that's awesome i mean we're just we're just finally kind of getting to the point where we're like comfortable in some of the ingredients that we have and now we're just going to continue like finessing them and enhancing them and really getting to that i mean i think it's a it's there's a long path ahead but we're we're the team is a very passionate team. Most most of us are parents or our partners or whatever the case may be. So 
So yeah, it's fun. It's fun to work with people who are just like really excited about the same problem. And it also leads me to a question. I'll hand it off to Pascal after this because I know we're running out on time. I don't know how much time you have left. I just really wanted to get one question about what you're talking about now in about impact of design. So we mentioned yeah. this in the last po- podcast at a scale of trying to help, you know, in, in the last episode, it was about really how does the value of design shape the company to be worth $135 million. Mm-hmm. So in this case, how has design impacted the actual end result of helping people? Oh, man. Yeah. You know, I think that the the choices that we have to make on a daily basis as a designer are, they can be completely overwhelming. And there's so many little decisions that can take you one way or another. But I, I, I think in this particular case, particularly with, with Maple, the, the design decisions are so important because they, you know, I, I also worked on a mental health platform. And so the two of them in oddly enough have similar, similar sort of like impacts when it comes to like these design decisions that these people are like, they're really looking for help. And so even, even we, we had a a retreat this week and unfortunately I wasn't able to make it, but I, I was there remotely and we had a hack day and there was this one part in the app that was driving me absolutely crazy because it was like taking four taps to get to something. Right. But, but it, it was like pissing people off and it was like, okay, so we'll make this one decision where now it's like, it cuts it down by one tap. And literally like within 24 hours, like I know in, at least in my household, we were like, oh my God, this is so much better. <laughs> like this one stupid little tweak is so much better. But if you think of it in the context of like those people, those people who are stressed, overworked, have so much on their plate, so much writing on their day-to-day where they feel, where they're actually genuinely feeling overwhelmed. Oddly enough, taking that one tap away is like an exhale for them. It's literally a moment to be like, oh my God, this little tweak is so much better. And we like, we did some calendaring changes recently because we have like a calendar where we keep track of all family events in a single calendar, basically. And again, it was just like these little, tiny little enhancements and tweets where people like are responding to us like, oh my God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it was the same thing on the, with the mental health startup that we were working on where it was like, you know, our onboarding was like way too long. And, and you take for granted the fact that like, if somebody is downloading your app for mental health services, there's a high probability that they're very much in need of services like, like an hour ago, like a long time. And you, you actually are like, shit, like, okay, we got crunch. Like we need to get them to somebody as fast as humanly possible. And so, yeah, I would, I would say that like the, the, the design impact of just understanding that your decisions are actually, you know, affecting somebody on a day-to-day in in and in hopefully a positive way is a great way to go into thinking about how to, how to solve problem versus, you know, there was definitely a time in my career where I was just trying to make things look pretty, not really giving a crap on whether or not like it was actually uh, going to impact somebody. So I think, think the 
the choices that I've made in the startups that I've been working with over the last few years are those in which I really hope that my design decisions get to be a part of their day to day and really like bring them some relief, cause them some pain on some bad decisions, <laughs> but and also hopefully give them some relief as well. So yeah, so yeah it's huge. It's huge. That, that's like the ult- ultimate, I guess, end game for us designers. Like, you know, we are in a sense, not puppeteers, but we kind of are overseeing a lot of decisions that happen like you know developers are so in the weeds trying to figure out how to make it survive and how to like support the system and they're not always able to kind of look over the the trees like what we designers get to do and see all right how does this connect to humans how does this kind of reach out and and see the system that's at play yeah and sometimes like you said we could have a negative impact on people and you know not on purpose i don't think anyone intentionally yeah, people yeah. don't intentionally try to do that, but you know, I think that our our job is to just always try to do our best. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, you know, and you you, you kind of nailed it. And I think a lot of designers underestimate their impact on the products that they're working on sometimes too, right? Like they, you know, you, you I've talked to a lot of designers who are like, oh, I wish I was a product manager because I feel like I would have a lot more impact on the product and the decisions that are made on the product, or I wish I could develop so I can just like make my my own ideas come to life the way that I want them to or like there's always like this what what more can I do what more what more can I do to 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 do more to do more and they 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 unvalue their own work of like yeah it's you'd be surprised one small tiny little decision that you can make on a daily basis and how it impacts the product and the people who are using them and uh, yeah it's a big deal Remind me to talk to you about that mental health thing. So I know my, my girlfriend and I are trying to figure out like how we could provide our skill sets and combine them, you know, much like Pascal and his partner are yeah. doing, but we're trying to figure it out for kids who are in, in, in the, have a high acuity and, and they, you know, they're suicidal and hurt, unfortunately, but that's kind of her specialty. But uh, yeah, I'd love talking to you more about that. And, and definitely another time. That's like a huge topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a huge thing. That's deep. Yeah. 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 We, yeah. Working in a mental health platform. I remember, I think I remember connecting quickly with Pascal when, when we, when, when I transitioned to that and I was like, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. I was like really <laughs> pumped about it, but wow. Like once you, you know, you go into it very naively and then you get in there and you're like, Oh damn. Like, okay. We'd like you, the room for error is the low, it's like <laughs> yeah. very low, very low. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you have any more questions? Yeah, I just have one to add a final topic because I think it's important and I think a lot of people are going to go through this. Like Joel has gone through, you know, being a designer, worked his way up in agency and, you know, the startup, we both worked together to like like sell for a hundred million dollars. He's worked at different levels, but he's gone back to the craft. He's gone from leader back to individual contributor. And I want him to, well, Joel, I want you to talk about it because I think it's one, we've had that conversation like a hundred times in back in the office because it was always something I was afraid of. But I think a lot of people go through it. A lot of people think that once they choose manager out, they can't shift. Or once they do the other, they can't go back. It, it's not about going up and like, it, we should not yeah. see it as up and down. I think it's just, we're just, you know, laterally moving. And I think it's okay personally, but I want like, what's your perception on all that? Yeah, I, I think, I think 
the industry has changed over time to allow a little bit more comfort in getting whether or not you want to be like focused on craft versus focused on like leadership or mentorship or management or whatever the case may be. And I think for a long time, the problem is that the two were like interconnected for so, so, so long. And so the only way that you, you know, get the dollars and you get the title is that you have to, you know, you have to be craft, you have to be manager, you have to do both. And and then the perception of going from having that title and maybe having some of that control and whatnot felt like you're stepping down in the, in the, in that, on that ladder. Right. And so I think for a long time, that was the case. It was like, well, I miss being, I miss being a contributor. I miss craft. I want to go do it, but doesn't mean that I'm taking a step down to do that. And so it was always like this struggle for people to, to make that decision because you do get burned out as like a, a, a manager, an executive or whatever, when you're like in charge of results or KPIs or like growing a team and you're just like, holy shit. Like I just, I wouldn't mind putting my blinders up for a year or two and just like working on some work for like just working on some design craft stuff for a while. But I think for so long, it was like, that was just, uh, that was just the ladder that people were used to. I do think that that has evolved over time where, you know, you have these different people perceive the value differently now where people perceive the value of it. You know, I even hate the word individual contributor. Like, what the fuck does that mean? It's like, okay, whatever. It's like, you're a designer. You're, you're like, your designer that just graduated from school is probably bringing just as much value to the company in their own way as like somebody who's just like, like an HR manager to seven to 10 people. Like, it's just, it's a, it's different value, but it's still propelling and moving the company forward. And so I think the fact that like, there was some smart, you know, HR slash people, you know, executives that came into companies and realized that there was equal, to some degree, some equal value in these things that they started saying, okay, cool. Like you can actually, you could ping pong between them now. You could like, you could be an individual contributor or you could take the manager track and you could like cross them if you want to. I still think that that has a long way to go. But I think the fact that that just exists now and probably gives some people some comfort that they can make those moves a little bit in their career and not feel like they're taking a $40,000 pay cut and can't like pay the bills, you know, and, and whatever the case may be. But I still, I definitely still think there's some room for that to continue to, to be the norm. Cause I, I don't know that it actually is. I think there still definitely is, you know, that ladder mentality in a lot of different companies and cultures and things of that nature. But I think for those who try to unend that, the value in what just people bring to the table and, 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 you know, what that means is paramount, then I think that that goes a long way. And I think for me in my career, I always had to like, it was like, it was like almost like picking stocks, like almost like, like investing into something. I didn't make my career moves, you know, when I would go from like, okay, well now I have like 80 people, like in the structure of the company, there's 80 people reporting into me and now going to work for a startup does that feel like a step down or whatever? But to me, it was trying to figure out like, okay, can I still like provide for my family? Check. Cool. 
is the problem that is being solved here something that I'm willing to commit to? Cool. And do the people understand the value in design? And then like, if I can check those boxes to some degree, then it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go and like work on that thing and start from the bottom and, you know, not the bottom, but like start as a single individual designer within that company and help it grow. Cause I think that's something that was important to me too. Is like, again, going back to just loving to create stuff, put stuff out into the world. It was like, I didn't care if it was me doing it by myself or me doing it with 10 people or 20 people or 80 people or a hundred or 200 people just want to like make stuff and, and just like have fun doing it. So I think it's just like, as long as you're happy and whatever those check boxes are for you as an individual that you need to figure out what those are, if you can check off those boxes, then like them, like making the move at the end of the day, I think is like, yeah, just go do it. Like go, go explore, have new challenges, learn new things, make mistakes, make do awesome stuff, whatever, work with great new people, learn from new people, all of these things. And just, again, embracing uncertainty and all that kind of stuff is really, really can be really fun, but do it, you know, be smart about it. You know, don't, don't necessarily like be, be risk. I'm a risk adverse person. So I'm always like, okay, check these boxes off and then we're good. So as long as those boxes are checked, you're good. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks for this. And I think it's great advice. And I think it's, it's, it's all about what you value and what you perceive. And if yeah. you're happy with what you're doing and it's bringing you gratitude and you're happy, then it's okay. You can go and you can always come back to whatever you were. There's no like yeah. fine line that once you cross, you can, like it's over, you're done. So I think no. it's, I appreciate your perception because I had to go through it too. And I had, I struggled with it Yeah, at the beginning because it, it was hard. Yeah. I mean, I will say I am getting a bit older. So, you know, I, I'm 42, so I'm in the second half of my career for sure, and and I'm not going to lie, like I am, I I do think about it. So it's not like I don't think about these things, but I am starting to think about like, oh man, like I don't know if I could do another startup. Like startups yeah. are really really great for a lot of different reasons, and and all of there's so many great things about it, but holy shit, like it, <laughs> you're maxed out. Like I'm maxed out. Like I'm doing it. I'm doing a lot. Like I, I'm, I'm the product designer. I'm brand marketing stuff. You need me to do a sales deck. I'm in. You need me to work on a partner deck. Like I'm in friggin' Google slides. Like let's go. I'm all in. But like, damn. Like I'm burnt out. Like I get burnt out. And so I'm, 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 I'm doing it now again. Where I was like, okay, cool. So now I've been working in craft for six, six-ish years, and I'm like, shit. I miss managing. Like I, I want to go back to like growing a team and managing people again. Now, hopefully I really hope I get that opportunity at Maple and I'm going to continue to like work my ass off at Maple and help that grow. And then hopefully that just becomes an inevitable outcome, right? Where it's like, well, my hard work paid off and now I get to go to man and go back to managing people. But like, I think it's natural for designers to feel that way too, the bounce back and forth, because like working on a problem for a really long time burns people out and i think that's why you see like attrition to a certain degree when it comes to designers working at a particular company for shorter periods of time like i find i find that the retention of an engineer can be like much longer than a designer where you see designers churn out like after 
three to five years because they're like, been working on this problem for so long and I'm just bagged. I'm just yeah. bagged on this problem and I need to move on. And some organizations aren't big enough that they have multiple problems that you get to, you know, pivot internally. So they go from co company to company as they get burnt out on these problems, but they also get burnt out on craft. So they ended up, mm -hmm. you know, I've been working on craft for so long. I want to go to manager. Oh, I'm burnt out at being a manager because as a manager, you're dealing with people's problems all day long. And if you're doing like, so you get burnt out. So I find like as a designer, it's, there's this natural like cyclical thing that happens of like, work on a problem, work with people, work on a problem, work with people. And you just get like burnt out and you, so you end up ping ponging between the two. But yeah. Yeah. There's something, more. there's something to that as well. Like when you're talking about like an agency, like you're, you're working like on a new things every so often, but it's like such a crunch and so much yeah. like concentration on like a million things. And then you switch to like a focused company that's growing one specific thing, but there's still like a million things to do. And you get burnt out doing the same kind of focus group of that like area. Like for example, when I was at IBM, I had to redesign a platform and it took, it was supposed to be three months. It took three years. Yeah. And, you know, I was beyond dead and I will admit, you know, my entire team was beyond dead afterwards like we all just didn't yeah. want to design honestly like i just didn't yeah. i wake i woke up and i was like i don't like this anymore but yeah when you when you lose that it's really sad and and it, it's not like it actually goes away it just kind of goes into hibernation for a little bit and then yeah, you, you just get dull back. yeah yeah you get it dulls out like i i worked at blackberry for a very short period of time oh, that's cool it was very short it was like <laughs> yeah never mind well it was like three months Honestly, because yeah, I it was you, kind of like you described. It was like I came in and they're like, "Okay, we're 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 it was like we're working on the playbook at the time, which was like the iPad competitor, mm -hmm. and it hadn't been released yet. We were working on contacts calendar and contacts calendar and email. I think it was wow. Yeah. It was a PIM project, and they're like, "It it has to be done in six months." What? And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And they're like, oh, don't worry about it because we acquired like a calendar company from Montreal and a contacts company from from Seattle and we're building the email thing. I'm like, okay, great. But you still have to bring all of that to like, now you got to integrate all of these things in together. Like it's just as hard. Like you're not accelerating anything by acquiring companies because these particular tools actually have to like, they're interwoven. Like they, <laughs> there's tentacles between all of them. And right now you're taking these individual companies and you're like, all right, everybody come together and play nice. And just the acquisition alone and try to get people to play nicely together is going to take three months. I'm like, no, this is not. So I started working on the project. I'm flying to Montreal. I'm flying to Seattle. I'm back in Ottawa. I'm in Toronto. I'm all over the place. And I'm like, wow, no, no, I'm not doing this. And then it turns out, same thing. It was like a six-month project that probably, I think it ended up taking a year and a half to two years to get done. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. That was not, not going to work for me. So I knew that pretty quickly. Wow. That's, oof. We, we, we should, <laughs> I didn't know you were you at, at BlackBerry. That's, that's, that's a really interesting company because of how much they, sh they changed the industry of mobile computing with like, yeah. the email and the text thing. But then they... You know, unfortunately, ha what happened will happen. But clearly, there's, there was organizational structural issues with that. Uh, I mean, I well. was there at the worst time possible. Yeah. Like, I, I had, 
you know, I just came out the, the, the glory days of BlackBerry where now Apple was eating their lunch and Android was coming out. And I was like, oh, damn, this is not what I thought it was going to be. You know, we never even mentioned to anyone that I ran to go get a hat right before so we all can wear hats together. Yes. Yeah. I had to slide that in because... I think IBM, I we got an IBM yeah. hat. I don't know what hat Pascal's wearing. What do you got going on there? It's the Guadalajara. It's the soccer team from Mexico. There you go. There you go. And you got your favorite team football hat on. I'm a Steelers man. Yeah, for a long time now. Yeah. Going through the rough patch right now. We'll get through <laughs> it. I never under... Honestly... I am not into sports or whatever. I never understood why people like have an attraction to wear and like be a part of the team because like what yeah. if the team sucks? Like, <laughs> like does I that mean you suck? Like what is that? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you just, I, it just be, I don't know. I, I was never a big sports person growing up. And then uh, just somewhere along the way, I started, I think I went to a Super Bowl party when I was like 18 and just yep, had like I'll a do great it. time and the Steelers won. So I was like, okay. I'm in. I'm now a Steelers fan. And then it just kind of stuck. And and I didn't even start wearing hats until like maybe 10 years ago or something like that. So so now, yeah, I don't know. I just uh, you just want to you just want to re- represent a little bit, I guess. OK, so the next time you come on the pod, I'll wear my cowboy hat. All right. So I'll wear your hat every time. Yeah. Yeah. If I have the <laughs> pleasure of coming back, I'll wear my I'll probably pump my Raptors hat on for you guys. Instead. Absolutely. Oh, Love it. That, Love that it. I'll be down for. Yeah. <laughs> And then we'll have like our hashtag we the north. There you go. Yeah. Oh, uh, this has been awesome. Really, really appreciate it, Joel. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. I always like uh, chatting, you know, Pas- Pascal and I don't catch up often enough, but every time we do, it was like, it's like we're sitting right back in, in our, in our little pods back at UI. So it's always fun. And I always have these fond memories of me and Pascal. Like I, Pascal used to always kind of like frantically run into my office with some problem. And then we would like work together for like 45 minutes to 60 minutes. And then, and then everything would be full again. It was awesome. That was how my brain worked. Yeah. So, still no, works that way. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. It's good. I, because he cared. Like he, it, mm-hmm. the thing about working with designers is like most, I don't know if I've ever run into a designer who doesn't care about whatever they're doing. And that's, that's mm-hmm. really kind of always been something really great over the last 20 years. It's like, I think designers, Almost care too much sometimes. Probably over the top care too much. It comes out in all sorts of different types of emotions. It's great. We're passionate about what we're doing. Oh man. Yeah, it's 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 wild. All right. Well with that, I wanna say thank you for coming on and thanks for everyone listening. Thanks, Joel. Yeah. Thank you guys.